You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of News Talk 770. Welcome to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. I'm Herb Hamm. For over 20 years, trust and estate planning specialist Sherry McMillan has helped families successfully build plans that protect what they've worked so hard to build. In conversation with Peter Watts of News Talk 770, Sherry begins by talking about the two main motivations for families to complete an estate plan. First one is that families do love their families and they want to preserve the harmony that they have in their family unit and they don't want to cause any discord over the estate. And so they want to make sure that they design their estate in a manner that um, their life's work is respected, that their uh, purposes are carried forward and that their wealth is respected and safeguarded and preserved appropriately. So I think it's a very beautiful desire that families have. And and generally speaking, nine out of 10 families come in for that reason alone. They're saying, look, I have two beautiful children. Um, They've had a couple difficulties maybe through their lifespan. We just don't want to cause any disharmony amongst them. And we want a nice, easy flow um, moving the estate to them. And we don't want, if they go through a divorce, that the estate is lost to the ex Um, You know, these are the common kinds of situations that our families bring forward to us. And I think that's because ultimately money is not actually money. It's our life's work. It's about a meaning that we've brought to the table. And what we're trying to do is preserve that purpose and meaning for our family unit. Peace of mind is a wonderful quality. It is. So that's the primary reason I think families plan. But there is a secondary backup reason, and it is a little bit based out of fear. I'm not going to say otherwise, is we don't want to give up undue value of our estates to taxation. And so if we have opportunities legally to utilize, to minimize, mitigate the taxation in our estates or on an annual basis during our retirement phases of life, we're very encouraged to do that. So, you know, more frequently, um, especially currently with the economic situation that we're facing in the economy and now the new budgets that have been unfolding, uh, especially last year in Alberta with the uh, provincial and now our federal, uh, we're finding families are very motivated uh, at this juncture in their life to make sure they are being proactive in their estate designs and their tax minimization. Let's talk about, um, we've talked a little bit about trusts. Let's talk about estate freezes, what that is exactly and how people can take advantage of it legally. Well, there's some beautiful opportunities that we have actually this calendar year that I do want to make mention of because we're still only in April. And we have until 2017, January 1st, to employ some of these opportunities. So, you know, we have a depressed economy. That's not a secret. It means that the valuations of our assets have diminished. And so now is an opportune time um, to solidify the value with with utilizing a trust plan called an estate freeze. And just to explain that, to make it simple for us to understand is let's say I have an estate or I have, let's say, a business worth $10 million today. Well, I have the privilege to freeze that value in my estate today at $10 million. And if it grows to be worth $30 million through my retirement and the later phases of my life before I transfer it to the children, what is happening is because I froze it at $10 million, what happens is in an estate freeze, an estate freeze doesn't die, we do. 
And so what happens is when I die, when my estate is worth 30 million, I don't pay tax on 30 million. I pay tax on 10. Now at tax rates of 48%, Peter, it's not rocket science to see the math on this. This is real money um, and it's sizable for generations ahead. And we need to seize the day while we have this window of opportunity. So as strange as it is, the silver lining of the fact that the economy is depressed at the moment, that things are worth less in the moment, is an opportunity for us in estate planning. If we wait a decade for it to recover, let's say it takes, we're missing that window of opportunity. Now, that being said... This calendar year, there's also another opportunity that I would want families to know in in tax planning that the federal and provincial governments are diminishing, and that is the area of what we call self-insuring your estate, taxation in your estate. So let's say you have an estate at worth $10 million today, and we conclude that you owe 3 or $4 million of tax. Well, you could relabel 3 or $4 million of your wealth, call that self-insurance to pay your estate tax, that three or four million, if it becomes eight or ten million through your lifespan, you pay no tax on it. Now, this is going to only be a window of opportunity for us over this next calendar year because when the new budget arrives next year, that amount of value and that percentage of our estate is going to be diminished substantially. So we are exceptionally busy, truthfully, right now, um, endeavoring to do this kind of tax work because we're on a limited time horizon before the next budget arises and takes that privilege away from us at this grand level. And we talk about an estate plan being a living document. Well, all of a sudden, clients you've had for years are coming in and saying, how am I affected by what is in the new budget? Uh, And what do I need to do to protect myself and try and guard that I don't lose too much income uh, to the tax office? Yes. So that's one of the first techniques that we're doing is that tax minimization. So we call it giant tax-free savings account planning um, to simplify it for people so that they understand what we're endeavoring to accomplish. And then the second facet that, you know, is prominent right now, especially due to the economy and the oil prices is for those of us shifting into retirement, a lot of people are receiving packages um, as we speak. And so what a lot of families are doing right now is they're repositioning their asset base, not in what we call the bank law system, but alternatively into the trust law system through estate planning so that they can protect the capital that they have crafted and put in reserve for retirement. So a lot of us don't realize that we have this opportunity or privilege to protect our actual values in our state, like our GICs and our stocks and our mutual funds and our RSPs, and we can put a basically a baseline protection on them in trust so that if the stock market crashes again during our retirement or crashes when we pass on, our family doesn't receive the diminished value, but alternatively, they receive that frozen guaranteed value. And that's another estate freeze technique that a lot of families are seizing the day about, especially because of what has been occurring in the last couple of years. Let's remind the listener about uh, the listeners about um, misconceptions of estate plans. I suppose the biggest one is that if you have a will, you have an estate plan, not so. That's true. I would say that that is the first one, um, the most obvious one in this well, my lawyer prepared it, so it must be an estate plan. So I wish to re-clarify and say a will is simply a distribution plan of your assets. So not to be confused with a tax plan. There are totally two different things. Um, And because a will only addresses the moment we die, it doesn't contemplate how we create and craft our estate through our life, nor our tax designs when we do eventually do the wealth transfer. So I think my rule of thumb in the office, Peter, is if a family exceeds an estate value of a million or more, 
I think that they've actually outgrown will planning and they have moved into estate planning and need to give contemplation to the opportunities that are made available to them through this opportunity. Because of the tax implications alone. That's right. And, you know, once a family has created that seven figures, it's interesting because one of my more, you know, you get favorites when you start early in your career and she's long past now. But I remember one of my more senior ladies that had a multiple uh, million dollar estate when I was working with her in my young years and she she reached across the table, Peter, and she said to me, Sherry, you tell your young people that it's the very first million that's the hardest million. And the other ones naturally come if you take good care of them. And I'll always remember that because she viewed it as taking care. It was a stewardship in her opinion. And so I think that that is a fundamental th- contemplation for all of us is that when we create affluence, it's about our life's work and we want to steward it and direct it in the manner in which we want it to be utilized for our family and community. Um, Let's take uh, one quick note here about uh, some interesting facts about estate planning. And a lot of it has to do with assets held outside uh, Alberta jurisdiction on the assumption that the matriarch and patriarch of the family who are establishing the life plan live here. Well, I think that's a, a really important facet to estate planning in modern times is because we have acquired assets all over the place, thankfully, because we enjoy warmer weather than the Calgary winter. Um, but Although this winter's been okay. Yeah, we've we got away with something here, I think. So what happens, though, is the moment you own an asset in another jurisdiction, then you have more than one estate. We call it a multiple estate. So you have an estate, perhaps, let's say, in Alberta. You may have an estate in BC, and then you may have an estate, and a common one is, let's say, down in Phoenix. So all of a sudden, you have three estates. Now, where do your children live? That adds another layer of complication, because depending on where your children may reside, um, you may have other transfer tax issues that we've got to give consideration to, or inheritance tax issues. So, you know, it's not as straightforward as it once was. So there's techniques that we can utilize, Peter, but often what happens is most families use traditional planning and they say, well, I wrote an Alberta will that should suffice. Well, it doesn't, unfortunately. And what you can end up is in what is called intestate in these other jurisdictions, which means your asset base gets tied up in court because you don't have a proper plan for them. So what we need to do is be comprehensive. We need to give contemplation to every jurisdiction. And, you know, right now, one of the techniques that we're seeing more commonly is that a lot of us that winter and snowbird down south, we don't just write documentation for when we pass. We write living documentation for while we're here. So we may have um, a living will for health care, for example, in Alberta, but we may also want to have a second one for the jurisdiction that we winter in. Um, because that hospital that's in another jurisdiction may not recognize the Alberta document. And so you can see that in modern times, it's become a more complex area if we want to protect ourselves through the decades ahead and again in the wealth transfer one day. And Sherry McMillan takes a closer look at some key estate planning fundamentals when we return after this short break. A reminder, the next McMillan Estate Planning Seminar will be held Thursday, April 28th. Register online at MacMillanEstate.com. This is The Strong Room. 